Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another new episode of the What the Niche podcast. As always, I am your host, Andrew Morris. This week, we have another special episode, and you might notice a bit of a trend for the October episodes. All this month, I am including niches which relate to all things Halloween and macabre. Yes. But before I divulge into any more information about this week's episode, I want to throw out a couple quick thanks and a couple quick shout outs. First, thank you to Ken and Myra Daniels for having me out to the Friday Night Film Festival last weekend. It was one of the best times I've had in quite a while. Next, big thanks to Travis Bowling for having me out to the American Horrorplex Haunted Attraction. My brother and I had an absolute blast, man. Please check out their haunt. Shout out goes to Brian Rodman for the release of his newest issue of the comic, Memoirs of an Angel. You can still pre-order a physical copy and digital copies are already available. I will post the link in the episode description. And a quick reminder for my devoted listeners, I will be appearing in an episode of Brian and Jeremy Woodring's podcast called The Dastardly Dingoes. It was a blast. I can't wait for you to hear that. Finally, one major shout out goes to Braxton and Colleen Gaither, who officially got married this past weekend. They are both friends of mine and the podcast, and I wanted to take the time to congratulate both of them. It's awesome to see you two get together like that. I'd like for all of my wonderful listeners to continue to share the show and help me in expanding my reach. Also, if you have yet to visit my website, I highly encourage that you do so. You will find updates for all episodes and news related to the podcast. You can also find podcast merch and learn how to donate to our Patreon to help keep this podcast funded. Well, that's all I have for this week. So without further delay, it's on to this week's episode. In this episode, we are going to be crawling through the twisted world of all things horror. As I share with you several interviews I gathered while attending the Fright Night Film Fest. So let's get creeped out with this week's niche. Horror is a global phenomenon, a growing culture. Millions of people love it, and yet horror fans are often misunderstood. Horror films help tap into pleasures that we're actually not supposed to have. It's a, a safe fright, and I think that enables you to sort of relish it, to sort of uh, enjoy it or look into yourself and say, why am I fried, afraid of this? Dark and disturbing imagery has always been an important part of our culture. But why? Why do we love to be scared? Looking cross-culturally at horror, um, you can see a lot of indications of what different cultures fear. What bothers them. Even their belief systems on how they approach life and death. Is it more mentally sound to, you know, watch fiction about monsters and blood and atrocity and gore? 
or to watch real-life news footage of actual people dying and getting killed. Horror kind of provides a forum for people to talk about things like gender and morality and spirituality and sexuality without getting their backs up. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. Well, the best horror films are ones which I feel have a deeper level to them, where they're actually more of a critique and examination of the social situations around us. But now, we're not only watching horror, we're part of it. We've evolved from passive consumers to active participants. Why is the zombie the heavyweight champ? I think it's video games. Certainly, video games now have a, have a great influence on how kids might, might react when they can walk around as a single-person shooter and just blow the hell out of people left and right. Should I be worried that I love horror so much? Can my obsession cause negative psychological damage? People who are psychopaths or sociopaths who are more dangerous, the most dangerous, you can't reach them through movie experience. Movies are for sane people. Nowadays, uh, we don't kill people for fun. We make movies where people die for fun. And um, as much as anybody could say that horror films are unhealthy, uh, historically, that is a, a progression in the, in the right direction. Do we need it? Probably not, but I wouldn't want to live in a culture without it. We are those who dwell in the shadows. We are those who delight in the maniacal. We are many, and we are one. We are the hounding hordes, insatiable and depraved, thriving on the vicious acts illuminated on the screen, piercing images of horror reflected in the eyes of each onlooker, removed from the wretched deeds of worlds gone by, vicarious necessity of wickedness, fulfilled through one cinematic excursion after another. A sense of entangled euphoria found in the grasps of fictional terror, letting go of the ties that bind, left without inhibitions, free to face the real terrors. The grind of the chainsaw against bone reigns hollow and lacks weight in the realm of the imagination. But the shots that ring out in the ethereal cathedrals we call reality cut deeper than the burnt man with the knifed fingers or than the masked man wielding a machete. The false fear we choose is less of a threat than the unwanted dangers forcibly thrust upon us cleansing the soul with every viewing of macabre figures emblazoned on the screen, providing the strength to face the monsters who exist in those brightly lit houses found in every neighborhood. Our perceptions create our deviations. We are the outsiders they pretend 
to misunderstand. We are the freaks society pretends to fear. But the truth is, we are them. And they are us. And together, we are the legion of the Nightmare Tribe. We are many. And we are one. And that brings me to this week's conversations. As I mentioned above, this is a special one. I had the opportunity to chat with five uniquely wonderful personalities while in attendance at the film festival. I will introduce each of them over the course of the episode. I will also include all of the links for their projects, podcasts, and many of the other things that they have going on in their lives in the episode description. My first guest is Santiago Cirillo. He is an actor, writer, and activist. During our discussion, Santiago shares some incredibly heartfelt life experiences, which led him to his current life trajectory. I'm going to share a very brief scene from one of his films to kick off our chat. The film is called Beasts of the Water. So, uh, what'd they sort out? Harris wants Bateman on bus driver duty. Shit, man, I heard that, dude. I don't want to be a nanny for these freaking guys anyway, you know? Hell no. That's for the new recruits. Besides, we're taking the express route in. All right, cool. Now, uh, was it me or did I see you still carrying that saw? <laughs> Shit, yeah, man. What, you still got your pea shooter or what? Of course. <laughs> hey, man, so how was Thailand? Puerto Rico. Shit, whatever, man. You were probably still chasing the lady boys down there, too, huh? Oh, yeah. And they were asking about you, Shit, too. I bet they were. Well, um, first of all, thank you for having me today. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, my name is Santiago Cirillo, uh, actor, paranormal researcher, and uh, writer, author. But most people know me as Julio on season four of The Walking Dead. And a new movie out called Rosalie. Uh, so, yeah, just doing my things, man. Very cool, man. Um, well, one of the ways that I like to start off this conversation, I'm talking to people about their different niches and things of that nature. So as an actor, uh, as someone who's involved in all the different things that you've been involved with, uh, what are some of the assumptions that people make about you based upon you being in that specific niche as an actor? Um, just pretty much um, the the how do you say the uh, odds of you making it super big, you know, like, are you continue to work? Um, um, what do you think of, of being, uh, are you going to be the next Iron Man or something? You know, uh, most people don't understand in the entertainment business um, to be an actor. You're also a producer, writer, director. You're an entertainer of all trades, man. So it doesn't just end with me being in front of the camera or behind the camera. I'm on stage and everywhere else. So it's a big open field uh, for everybody to see my talent. Yeah, I think I talk about this time and time again, man. So many people have this feast or famine mentality when it comes to the entertainment business. It's so strange. Like, oh, you're an actor. Well, I've never heard of you. So they they act like that that defines you. And you're like, well, dude, I'm making a living doing this thing that I love doing. I'm making $50,000 a year or whatever it may be. That doesn't mean that you're a failure because... 
you're not the biggest thing in the world. Or if you do make it to the most popular show on TV at the time in season four, I mean, you were on like probably the biggest thing on the planet. That doesn't mean that has to define you forever. And that's what a lot of people seem to think. Um, as somebody who is, I, I do stage acting, you know, they're like, why do you do that? You don't even get paid for it. I'm like, well, because I like it. Right, right. Why is that so bad, you know? Let me tell you this, man. First of all, stage acting, they're the best actors. <laughs> they are. Um, I was just talking to a gentleman before, and, and I said having stage actors are are people that just always on point. You know, they when someone gives them a, a certain, say, say uh, like um, being in front of the camera, they know how to adapt faster because they're so used to memorizing and practicing, rehearsing, you know, to the point where they know how to laugh, how to cry, how to do everything on point. There's actors that are well known that I worked with that take, man, I, I did about 30 takes just to get freaking three or four lines through. I'm like, oh my God, let me choke you right now. <laughs> but, um, but other than that, man, um, the whole deal with, with, with being an actor is to enjoy your talent, man. There's a reason why you have it. You know, I believe in generational talent. You know, there's if you don't do it, so your your kids, your next future grandkids or whatever, it's going to have it. If you look in your past, there's somebody in your past that was an actor, a stage actor, a writer, something, something that deals with entertainment, whether it's a musician and so forth. There's a reason why you have it. And there's a reason why you're supposed to have it to either change the world or give somebody a smile and give somebody some comfort. So, man, go for it, man. Anything you have in life that you want to do, man, if you're a professional clapper clap your hands real loud man you know get some get some then calluses on i love that and i will, if you are a professional clapper i need you on the podcast uh get at me that is a niche i need <laughs> but yeah man I, I think that uh i want you to talk about uh the suicide prevention organization that you're running because i think that that that's beautiful man we need yeah. lots of that let me uh, as a kid, I was I was raised in a two bedroom duplex. My mom had stage four cancer. My dad was an alcoholic. Um, I learned to be a man when I was young, man. I used to go into garbage, garbage cans and and trying to find toys and trying to get collect aluminum cans just to have collect a dollar to go to the swimming pool, you know. And I used to wear hand-me-downs, you know, six brothers. I used to cut shorts and pants to make them fit. I had baseball cleats that I used to wear to school. And everybody bullied me. You know, one of my favorite things that I always wore was underoos. And I wore them to school, man. I wore the shirt, you know, even though they're pajamas, I wore them. But, you know, people picked on me. But um, to that point, my depression was so high that I tried to kill myself. I tried to end my life and thought that I wasn't worth anything. Um, even when I joined the military and the infantry, um, after a while, it took a toll, man. You know, doing so much work to defend a country and then come out as a civilian where you're not being paid attention as much, you know, and everybody from doctors, lawyers, teachers, these are important human beings that are changing the world for the better. And no one really pays attention to them. But it got to the point where um went into an empty field, man. And I was like um, talking to God, man, just saying, you know, uh, take this pain away or I'm going to take it away. And instead of amen, hallelujah, I yelled, hiya. And it killed every negativity that I had in my mind. I mean, I literally felt like I controlled the world to a point where I can call a bird to bow down to me and it would. And I literally took it to expression, man. And so I express it from young kids to adults, man. Be you. Never give up. Never let people judge you. 
Uh, always follow your dreams and continue. And I yell hi-yah to kill negativity. Everything that I go through from auditions to entering rooms to, to doing my day, man, that's I yell hi-yah. And it just, it gives you a power, just like martial arts, man, when you yell and scream and um, it gives you that sense of comfort, man, that you are here to take over the world. And that's in a good, positive way. You know, we have a lot of suicide rates from kids being bullied and you're you're bullying these kids and you don't know that they can be the next change of this planet. You know, they could cure cancer. They can be the next great inventions or they can be the greatest, you know, uh, inspiration to other kids of being a teacher, or an actor or an entertainer, musician. You know, I could go on. And the problem is, is that we're judging too much and throwing that negativity to not just the young kids who are an adults and they have no way to comfort themselves. You know, so I bring out the Haya Nation uh, to make sure that they understand, man, look, I love you because you're you. That's it, period. You know, and I, I support you in every anything you want to do in life. And that's the way it should be, not the way you look, the way you express yourself or what you like. You know, you got to be positive for everybody. You kill negativity, man, with one word. Hi-ya! <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, when you were talking to me just a little bit about that over there, as a teacher, <clears throat> I see this so frequently. And it's becoming more of a problem, I think, with social media because you're detached from the humanity of a person because it's just words on a screen attached to some profile picture. They're not. That doesn't mean a person. Right. You, know, you say things in the comfort of your, you know, underwear in your mom's basement that you would never say in person. Hey, because you might get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the value of uh, being the possibility of being punched in the face is something that's undervalued. Uh, <laughs> people won't say things in person that you will from the comfort of your right. home, whatever you're doing. And I think that you talking about that and understanding that everybody could be that next best whatever. Right. You know, and also I think I try to do this as much as I can um, because my students oftentimes will only think their only outlet is being an athlete or being a a rapper or being um, an Instagram influencer. Right. You know, and I'm like, okay, listen, if you're into those things, what are some of the other things you can be involved with that could still get you into that that realm? You know, like if you want to make movies, well, maybe you could still be a lighting designer or a sound designer. And opening it up the door, you know, beyond having a little bit of intimate, intimate information about being in a stage and things of that nature, being like, hey, maybe you could be a seamstress. You'd like to make clothes. You'd like to do your Instagram videos for that. Maybe you can get into that. Still do that other thing, but find this other hustle that gives you something that, you know, you, is actually attainable. Uh, because like you said, the percentage of people that get into those those big key roles, your Robert Downey Jr.'s of the world or your LeBron James. What percentage of the population? Point oh 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 one. You know, it's not saying don't go for it, but it's just saying that you, you're not a failure by going and finding something else within that realm of what you love. Of course, man. You yeah. know, your talent, your talent is huge. You know, whether you're an athlete or or someone that wants to draw or someone that just loves, like you said, be, you make clothes or jewelry or whatever. It goes beyond that. Some of these people that go and do follow their dreams, whether they go to uh, colleges or go go to college or go to um, being something else, they end up that, yeah, my mind was set on being a, a, a doctor and they end up being, you know, something else that leads to that. 
You know, and then that's the thing. You never know until you reach that point where you're so comfort in life that you're like, yeah, this is what I meant to be. This is what I meant to be. And it, it'll continue and it'll pass down, man. Yeah, I I think that that's a great find your own happiness. You know, whatever that thing is, don't be a, don't be don't be sad to say it like and I, it drives me crazy when you have people that, you know, you go to tell your parents, I want to be an artist. Uh, I interviewed a guy named Marco Hootie. Uh, he draws for Marvel. He's done runs of Spider-Man. He's done Swamp Thing. Uh, he was from Mozambique. So they didn't even know what comic book artist, how like, I was like, how did you find your way on that path? He's just, I just did. I yeah. loved it. And I found a way. His parents finally did support him. But it was one of those things that as a, if I was a parent, I would always want to try and support my kid in whatever they wanted to do. Of course. I, I'll give you a good story that I always tell about a good friend of mine um, in art class when I was in high school. He used to do all his projects in art, everything, draw, paint, whatever we were all doing. But when he had time off, he used to draw cars. I mean, he used to just draw cars. That's all he did. And we were like, man, dude, that's, you know, we're over here trying to draw. You know, this is the days in the 80s when Michael Keaton was Batman and so forth. (laughs) You know, um, I'm not that old. But uh, it was like a thing wondering dude, why do you, he goes, I just love drawing cars. So let's fast forward to the first move, first Transformers movie, Michael Bay. Uh, I'm looking at this, this Camaro Bumblebee and I'm going, I know that design. I know it. And that moment I stayed for the credits. Come to find out my buddy, Jose Gonzalez and his team created Bumblebee. They drew and created that car. And then I got in touch with him through social media and I told him the story. I said, remember in our class? Da, da, da. And he was like, yeah, dude, you know, I just I hustled and do it. He go, I go, what's your next project? He goes, I'm personally designer of the 2019 uh, Corvette. And that's a beautiful car. Dude, Good on him. Dude. That's him. That's <laughs> him. You know, beautiful. that's my buddy from high school. And that's all he does. He designs cars for all these companies. He never does an exclusive contract because everybody wants him. I mean, he designs windshields and he gets to go to the Autobahn in Germany and just test drive cars. He'll be the first person to touch the cars. And then he continues to design them. That's his life. And it all started from that extra little time after his main work in school. Doodling, doodling cars. And look at him now. That's amazing, man. I love that. Those are the kind of stories that people need to hear. Um, So I'm curious what drove you into... So you said that you were in the Army, right? Infantry? Yeah, I was in the infantry at 3rd of 502nd in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, 101st. That's awesome. Well, how do you make the transition from that into acting? It was a fluke, man. Um, ever since I was a kid, I was, the, I was the clown, man. From being bullied, I used comedy. I used comedy to overpower all the bullying and stuff. And um, people always said, you're going to be on TV one day. You're going to be on. And I'm like, nah, whatever, you know. So I got out of the army. I ended up um, working for Gibson Guitars in Nashville uh, for Massman Drive. And when you're in the army, man, your mentality is do your perfection to the greatest. So they had me as a sander. It just literally prepped the guitar, sanding a piece of wood that's already cut for prepping to send it to the painters. And they had to do over 300 guitars a week. I was doing over 300 a day. To the point where it freaked everybody out. And they were like, this ain't the army. You got to slow down. Well, I don't know that kind of mentality. I just, you know. So um, they try to 
move me around as much as they can. Finally, they ended me being part of one of the um, creators for Guitars for the Stars. I mean, I literally got a shiny piece of wood and I put it all together, soldered it, uh, put the, everything you can imagine to make a guitar. And I ended up doing it for Keith Urban, Lenny Kravitz, um, ACDC, um, Kid Rock. Um, list goes on, man. Um, Aerosmith. I, I did all their guitars from uh, Les Pauls, SGs, Flying Vs. I mean, if you guys know guitars, um, I did all their guitars. And uh, to the point where it got me into that itch for the entertainment biz, you know, and it just... I'm like, was wondering, hey, man, thinking to myself, you know, like, Lord, what, where should I be right now? Boom, here comes a commercial. You want to be an actor? Do you want to take these next step to the upcoming business that's growing all over America? And I'm going, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there it went, man. I tried out, uh, auditioned, and I ended up getting signed by um, Dakota Fanning's agent. Went to L.A., uh, stayed out there for a few months. I'm wondering like, whoa, what's going on? And then uh, it just got a turnabout where the film incentives, tax incentives grew in the South. Georgia started filming, Tennessee, Kentucky, Ohio, so forth. Um, so I got back to Tennessee and I got signed up with the agents. And next thing you know, man, I'm making movies from Hallmark to, to USA Network, Lifetime, you know, and on and on and on. And then uh, was doing the miniseries for Fox in Louisville, and uh, I get a call from my agent. They're freaking out. Oh my God, you're on The Walking Dead, and I'm going The Walking what? So I ended up filming Walking Dead season four, a few episodes, which attached to people noticing me. And here I am, man, making TV shows and movies, and constantly and working in the independent and in the mainstream. So how many other actors hate you? That you were able to just kind of stumble into it. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth, it's un unreal because um, you get all these people in Hollywood that have been there for like 30 years and they just got like maybe 15, 20 credits. You know, I've been in the so business. So what's your email so they can go ahead and send you all the hate? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Do not send me anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I, I've done a lot of work that. People have been doing for 20 years. I've done more products, you know, projects than anything. And I continue to do it, man. And I still stay the same, man. I'm down to earth. Um, I do express as much as I can to people to follow their dreams and so forth. It's fantastic, man. That's a beautiful sentiment in general. I love that. Um, what is, I know sometimes it's going to be hard because you've done a lot of stuff. Uh, so I'm curious, what is the thing? It doesn't have to be acting related. What is the thing that you find is your crowning achievement to you i get to, i get to have a voice i get to tell my story you know i get to tell people you know how poor i was how much i suffered and how to stop negativity man and live life literally live life man that's the best thing to do um it doesn't matter if if you hit brick walls or people telling you no or whatever man just follow your dreams just be you be you i mean shoot that's the best thing. If you got judgment, that's because people are your fans. If people tell you, oh, you're 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 gay or you're you're awkward or you're crazy or you're this and that, they're your fans. They can express they throw more energy on you than they should on themselves. You know, and I see it all the time, not to uh, against anybody, you know, um, but I go home to my hometown 
And there's people that, that were superstars in high school and now they're in prison or they're heroin addicts, you know, or something that just, you know, and it's, I would love to help them either way. But at the same time, I'm like, man, I made it no matter what I made it. Yeah. I, I, I can relate to your story a little bit. I'm not quite that bad, uh, but I did grow up poor, uh, you know, and I, I had three other siblings and, you know, we all managed to find our way, you know, and our parents struggled to feed us every week. You know, we might have one meal a day, yeah. but, you know, they were going to try and make it happen no matter what it was. It wasn't always what we wanted. Mom, I want a Big Mac. And they're like, I can make a Big Mac at home. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> put, on a, put on that soggy ass bread. You're like, no, ain't no Big Mac. This is bullshit. Uh, but it's fine. You know, it made me tough. You know, I, I'd gotten jumped from my bikes. You know, I wore, like you said, I wore the same pair of khakis, the same polo shirt my entire first year of high yeah. school. And I kind of, nobody. I don't think anybody noticed because it's fucking owned it. You're right. You know, I wasn't like, I was like, whatever. I don't give a shit. That's I'm here. Exactly right. What's your GPA, homie? Yeah. You know, because, you know, I had straight A's, you know, and I was doing my thing. I kept my head down and then I found theater. Uh, I found theater my sophomore year and then I never looked back. Um, that teacher made an impact on me and that was, he was one of the reasons that I wanted to be a teacher, him and my choir teacher. And then later my wife, she's a teacher as well. And, uh, you know, so I found my path that way. And it doesn't always have to happen early. I was 30. Right. I worked in a job I freaking hated for 10 years. Yeah. You know, and I'm grinding and just, you know, doing what I had to do to, you know, keep a, you know, I had a family. I was married, you know, but I was like, what can I do to be happy? And then one day um, it took the passing of my father. You know, he died. And then I had to look at myself and go, what would my dad want me to do that would make him happy? Right. You know, to see his son doing something. And I was like, maybe teaching is the thing. And the rest was history. That's I got exactly it in college right. and got it done. So I, I love your message of staying in, inspired and always doing you. I think that's phenomenal. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, that's, man. That's um, straight truth. Straight, straight truth. Beautiful. Um, what would you like to promote? What do you have coming up? I know COVID has got the acting world kind of on hold and kind of in a stranglehold, and it sucks. But Yeah, you, you might want to clean this mic a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm getting out of here. But, uh, <laughs> dude, I've, I got, you know, I got movies all over. I, I promote like Rosalie, my movie Rosalie, um, Beast of the Water, which I worked with like Power Rangers and WE Superstars. Um, those are the horror because it's Halloween time. I got a book called Zombified the Headhunter, which is coming out, uh, next week. Um, Amazon and Books a Million everywhere and, uh, movie Slaughtery movie that's coming out. I do horror a lot. But um, the best thing that I like to promote is to um, support the Haya Nation, man. Um, literally yell Haya. It could be a word. It could be a song. It could be anything, man. A whistle. Just do it, man. Anything that kills negativity that gives you positive feeling to continue in life, do it, man. Because I want to see people succeed. That's the whole deal. I mean, even I can't know you or nothing, take this message to the heart, man. Live life, follow your dreams, and always be you. Always be you. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to me, man. I appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thank you for having me here live. Much love. And just maxed out on the computer. <laughs> My next guest is an actor, and he is also the writer and director of a film called Unlisted Owner. 
His name is Jed Bryan. During our conversation, we discussed the difficulties of being an independent filmmaker and the origins of Jed's love for horror. And I'm going to share a fantastic scene from Jed's film, Unlisted Owner, to lead into our conversation. The guy who lived there, uh, Tom, his name was Tom, and uh, he found out that his wife was cheating on him, so he went crazy. He put the kids and the wife in the basement and burnt them all alive. The fire department says that they found the whole family in the basement burned alive, but the story is that they never found Tom's body. Is that all you talked to them about? Uh, well, I told them, yeah, that's what I said. The family of the body died. And then I told okay, them where, did, where did you go after, uh, where did they go after you spoke with them? I don't really know. I, I think they just went uh, camping. I okay, where did you go after you spoke with them? Okay, Mr. Lewis, we've got a family of five murdered, six other persons missing, an abandoned campsite, a missing police officer, and a three-story house that looks like a butcher shop. We need some answers. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I didn't know they were missing. I, I just thought they were there for that day. They, they went camping. I didn't know they were missing. I, you're the last person to see them. Look, I told you everything I know. Can I just go home? I... We're here at the Fright Night Film Festival. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Let the people know who you are. I'm writer-director Jed Bryan, known for my Amazon Top 10 selling horror film, Unlisted Owner. Beautiful, beautiful, man. Um, so, to let my listeners know, this is new to me, so I think it's funny. I recorded the first bit of this, so hopefully we find the uh, the same magic we had in our first run-through on this. Um, I would like to know what are some of the misconceptions that people make about you as a horror director? Well, they think that all I think about is, like, how people get murdered and dismembered and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, for, for me personally, uh, like, my thing with horror is, like, I take my real-life fears and I put them into script form. So, you know, I'm not all the time thinking, mm, you know, like this, you know, terrible thing. This is kind of, no, I, nothing like that. It's just, you know, you take your your own experiences, like unlisted owners about peer pressure. Like that's the, that's the core of it. And we've all been in those situations, especially when we were younger, where we have a group of friends and everybody's going one direction and you're kind of like little guy in the back of your head's like, ah, maybe we shouldn't do this. And you're like, well, but I, but I want to be cool. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we've all had that, you know, that real life peer pressure thing. So that's kind of like with me with, you know, my, my thoughts on it. Yeah, and I think it's it's important. Like as you grow older, your fears change. Uh, I know the uh, local uh, film director I talked to before, Nathan Thomas Milner, um, he had talked about his most recent film is dealing with loss of family. Yes, he's like the things that scared me when I was a kid. He's like I didn't have attachments to things, and he's like now the single most scary thing in the world to me is losing my children. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know he's like so when I approach you know this horror film. 
you know, it, it's completely different in the things that scare me. And he's like, as a film, you know, as a, a real good film director, like those are things that you should consider. Uh, and when you look at the greats, like people like Scorsese and people like Spielberg, you see them grow as people through the films that they're making. Right. You know, would have Spielberg have made Schindler's List in his first three years as a director? Right. Probably not. Yeah. Um, you know, so it took him 20 years in the business to t- tackle something that was so near and dear to him. Right. Uh, you know, not necessarily a horror film, but kinda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, that's really interesting to see how those things unfold, and I think that's an important important bit there for you. Um, what has been the hardest thing for you to get into the business as an independent person uh, in the industry? We talked a little bit about this. I'll let you elaborate a little bit on some of those difficulties. Yeah. Uh, back in 2013, when we first wrapped Unlisted Owner, uh, my hardest part was uh, trying to figure out how to get a distribution deal and try to get, you know, the movie out there. Because nothing's more frustrating than you have a film that wrapped, you know, two years ago and people come up to you. It's like, hey. When can I see your movie? When can I see your movie? I mean, it really, like, you're like, well, I'm working on it, you know. I'm not just going to sit here and just burn them off my computer and (laughs) pass them out to people, you know. Allegedly. I want to try to get it out there for, you know, a bigger market. So uh, we tried the film festival route, and we didn't have very much success with that because everything at that time I had read was if you want to get your film distributed, you need to get into a festival, you need to get eyes on it, you need to get people talking about it. Well... We weren't getting into any of the festivals, unfortunately. So uh, we went to the American Film Market in Santa Monica, and uh, we showed it out there a couple of times. Ended up with a distribution deal, and uh, we ended up making the uh, Amazon Top Ten for horror DVD, which is is pretty crazy to see unlisted owner on the list because at the time. It was just in the pre-order phase, and we were up against 47 Meters Down was on the list, American Horror Story Season 6, Walking Dead Season season 7, the season with Negan, I believe. So, I mean, there were some, you know, TV series and some pretty well-known movies that were on that list as well, and to see my film on that list was just so surreal. Yeah, that... Yeah, it's a a really tough market. And I know that you'd said... um, previously like the amounts of money that they're giving you uh per view Mm -hmm. and uh per what did they take 60 percent of the sale of the dvd yeah so like uh the way i understand it like whenever when you buy like say you bought unlisted owner on amazon amazon takes 65 percent right off the top so it's like man you know you factor in how much the physical copy actually costs to get made and everything i mean you're not you're not getting that much off of it and then even worse is like when you watch it on prime you know the filmmakers are only getting like a couple cents per hour it's viewed so i mean you got to think about how many hours people have to be set there watching your film for you to be able to make a profit so if i do do that you know if you ever do do that so i'll just leave it on repeat to help you out is that- <laughs> I, I don't know they may they probably have some type of al- algorithm you know figured out that this person keeps just watching this over and over <laughs> and over and that they need to quit you know like let's give them let's give them half a cent now you know? <laughs> yeah, the, we're on to you <laughs> bezos never sleeps <laughs> right so um i know that we had talked about before um, what is the inspiration for you getting into horror films? Um, and hopefully you can find that beautiful answer you gave me before. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, obviously I love House 2, the second story. I'm wearing the shirt from Fright Rags. Uh, people request the shirt back uh, because I know other people that would like to have one. <laughs> Facts. As soon as I saw the shirt, he, he was like, I like your shirt. Where'd you get it? Fright Rags. And he goes, Pfft. he unzips his jacket, uh, took his pants off. I don't know why he did that. 
no, but he showed me the shirt and I was like, oh my God, that's one of the dopest shirts I've ever seen. So go request it so I can have it. <laughs> Bright Rags, if you're listening, we need the House 2 shirt back. <laughs> and maybe a sponsorship for both of us. There we like, go. How about that? There we go. So, uh, but no, ever since I was a kid, I've always loved horror. I mean, growing up in the late 80s, early 90s, as you would know, you know, it was a prime time for kids to be introduced to horror. I mean, you had um, Scooby-Doo on TV all the time. You also had Tales from the Crypt Keeper. There's a Beetlejuice cartoon, a Swamp Thing cartoon. I mean, there was all kinds of great, you know, horror-themed cartoons. My mom had bought me, like, a VHS of House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. Oh, and so yeah, good. Oh, such a great film. And it was just, you know... And then I always went to the haunted houses and stuff. So, you know, horror's always been, you know, a part of me. I mean, my parents, you know, we used to decorate big for Halloween. And, you know, that's always kind of stuck with me. But uh, when I saw Eli, I think I was just out of high school and I saw Eli Roth's Hostel, I was just completely blown away by it. I've never seen, it was me and a group of friends. We were at a house and uh, we were watching it because we heard all this stuff about it. And it was just like, it was crazier than I could have imagined. And I was just like, wow, this is like real life, you know, horror. You know, you go to another country and you befriend somebody and you think you trust this person and they end up betraying you and you're like tied to a chair and they lure you with, you know, things. So it's just it's just kind of crazy. It's like a crazy concept. So ever since then, I kind of looked at myself and my own fears and I thought, wow, you know, I mean, if I take my own fears and put them into script form, I'm sure there's other people out there that can relate. And uh, like I said before about unlisted owner, it it relates to you know peer pressure situation. You know, you're you're with a group of friends, they try to pressure you into doing something like breaking into a crime scene, and you're just like. I don't know if I should or not. I mean, my friend's in there, but uh, should I just run in real quick and grab him, bring him out? Or should I just leave him? But wait, he has the keys to the vehicle. So, you know, you have all these, <laughs> you know, these what if, what ifs. So, you know, it's, it, I mean, there's, you know, real life horror is scary to me. Yeah. And I think Eli Roth has done a great job with that. Um, cabin fever was a great example. Oh, yes. That is plausible. You know, you go to a cabin, the, the water and the well that's being provided to the house is tainted. Everybody gets sick. Uh, I think one of the most haunting and chilling scenes for me in that entire film is when she's shaving in the bathtub mm. and she starts peeling the skin off yeah. of her leg with the, with the razor. Mm-hmm. Dude, it was one of the most cringeworthy things I've ever seen. And uh, then we talked about earlier... Um, Knock Knock being one uh, just an absolute terrifying film yeah. because you could have your entire life flipped upside down by two young ladies that show up at this married man's house, Keanu Reeves, uh, and they are there and they begin to seduce him and it all leads to this big thing and it's like these two beautiful young ladies and he only gives a, a so much resistance as as a man. I, I don't know. I, I love my wife dearly, but that's the thing that's terrifying in that situation. You go, what would I do? Yeah, that, I think that's like, you know, one of the keys to like successful like horror films is if you can make your audience think, what would I do in this situation? Like if I was if I was this person, it wasn't like, don't run to the shed with the chainsaws, you know, it's, it's not, <laughs> yeah. not, nothing like that. It's like when you take somebody and you put them in a real life situation and it makes them question like, what would I do? Like, really? I mean, you know, then you get the gears turning and then you then you have them. Yeah. Yeah, because I, th- I think that we're getting into cliche territory now where horror has been a thing for, uh, if you go back to like some what the some might consider the first real horror film like Nosferatu and things of that nature, we're looking at 
a hundred years. Oh yeah, it's been over. The first horror film came out in eighteen ninety seven. It was like a short. It was a, I think it was a French film, but um, God, I can't think of the name of it. But yeah, I mean, it horror has been around for a while. It didn't really get mainstream until like you know Universal really you know did the Phantom of the Opera and Notre and Hunchback of Notre Dame. But yeah, it's been around for a while. Yeah. So as you do that, things start to get tired, you mm-hmm. know, and. Um, so it's it's tough to make things that are new and you know um, I'd met John Carpenter at one of these conventions the Friday Night Film Festival actually years ago and he said to the audience he, he was so funny because he was kind of crotchety in the way that he can't address things he's like nothing you're going to do is special it was what he said mm-hmm. he said but do it anyway he's yeah. like don't let it stop you because you can assume it's not special and then maybe you have that new vision Maybe you're the next James Wan. Maybe you are the next Eli Roth. Maybe you're one of the next horror greats, and you don't realize it. Because we all have a story to tell. We all have unique perspective. So even the man, the myth, the legend himself is like, if you're worried about, I'm going to make the next most creative, amazing thing, then you're probably... Not going to. Yeah, you're probably screwing it up from before you start. (laughs) Because those... And I'm not saying don't have big aspirations, but be realistic, maybe. And just do the thing because you enjoy doing it. Just make your film. Yeah, exactly. You know, as as an actor, I don't say I'm going to give the next best performance. No, I'm going to give the performance only I can give. Because that's why they cast me in the first place. And mm-hmm. if you wrote the movie right. or you're working with a writer and you guys find yourselves together, there's a reason you guys got together, you know. So yep. just do the thing. Um, so before we head head out, um, and we are still recording. It's great. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we head out, what would you like to promote? Well, uh, if you'd like to get a copy of Unlisted Owner, you can get it on Amazon, of course. But if you want a cool signed copy, either Blu-ray or DVD, you can go to Makeflix, M-A-K-E-F-L-I-X dot com. And you can pick up a signed copy, Blu-ray or DVD there. And you can also just buy the physical copies on Makeflix and you will get a free signed Terror Card. Terror Card is a free horror digital trading card app you can download on your phone and you can uh, collect indie horror. Of trading cards. You can trade with your friends right now, the month of October. There's actually a sketch card collection by uh, that I drew myself. So uh, be sure to go on there and try to collect them all. Uh, there'll probably be some pretty cool prizes for that. Um, also, uh, there's a film called 13 Slaves Till Xmas that's going to be coming out this Christmas, hopefully. Uh, it's a horror anthology by Blood Moon Pictures. Uh, I sh- wrote and directed one of the uh, short segments in that. Uh, it, it's about a killer Christmas clown named Kringle, so I'm excited for everybody to see that. And uh, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Mr. Jed, J-E-D underscore Brian. And you can follow Unlisted Owner on Facebook and Twitter. Fantastic, man. I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me. Yeah. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, and I'm ho- hopefully able to give you a platform to maybe boost things going through you, and uh, yeah. we can bring down the uh, the horror movie villain, Jeff Bezos. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Hey, thank you. The next guest I have on this cornucopia of horror wonders is Gil T. Wilson. He is a horror aficionado and self-proclaimed nerd of many things. Gil is a fellow podcaster, and he has his own show called Nerd Up. I hope you enjoy this awesome chat.
Well, my name's Gil T. Wilson. I'm uh, the founder, creator of uh, the Nerd Up podcast, uh, another podcast, a competing pod. Well, no, podcasts don't really compete, do they? No. No, we just, we're just out there. That's right. Just, uh, so, uh, yeah, and uh, I, basically podcasting has been my thing for, I'd say, about eight years now. That's amazing. It's, That's, fun. it's a fun thing to do. It is indeed. Yeah. Uh, you had talked about Kevin Smith earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Kevin Smith, I uh, got to meet him at one of his uh, Evening with Kevin Smith, the, the tour thing that he oh, would yeah. do. Uh, and the wife and I went, uh, here's to tell you how great my wife is. <laughs> On our anniversary, she's like, I bought you tickets to go see Kevin Smith. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? Keep her. <laughs> I, I will, yeah. yeah. When, if she comes here today, you'll be like, why? why? <laughs> she um, was with him. <laughs> personality, guys. That's the moral of the story. Uh, but uh, I, I got to ask him a question. Like, she raised her hand for me. She's like, if I get the question, I'm handing it off to you. Don't worry. <laughs> and so I had my hand up, and he calls on me, and I'm like, <laughs> remember that black and white movie you made right it was cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> i actually asked him a question about red state and uh, oh. michael parks god yeah. rest his soul yeah yeah um and a scene in that and he gave me a 12 minute answer oh, of course it's kevin smith <laughs> yeah and it was amazing um but one of the things you know he asked me about me he's like tell me about you and i was like I, at the time i was doing some goofy podcast called the red nose taco podcast and it was something that uh, my buddy here <laughs> chavez was part of and uh another guy that we played music with and uh, he's like you need to do that everybody needs to do it we all have unique voices right. i can't encourage people enough to go out and do that so that sentiment that you have yep there is no competition i don't worry about other people doing podcasts i'm like great yeah yeah I'm, yeah i'm not like great <laughs> yeah. and i'm like great yeah exactly yeah well with kevin and kevin smith's the one that actually back in when i first started i kept hearing him say you know you got something to create create it get it out there don't rely on someone else and i'm like yeah i should I should. So I did. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think it's fantastic. Um, so as a podcaster, I'll be interested to hear your answer. All right. Um, because I am part of this world now as well. Um, what are some of the assumptions that people make about you because you are a podcaster? Uh, well, the, I, one of the things they always thought was like, well, whose basement do you, are you using? You know, <laughs> and then that, that, that was for the first few years, I guess, a couple of years. But then. uh I work in radio, and I've been working in radio for 35 years now. And uh, anymore, it's just people say, "Oh, yeah, I figures that's what you do on your own time," you know. So it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I guess, okay. So yeah, I do that on my own time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't got too many misconceptions that I know of. But like I said, being a radio guy, they kind of assume I'm like that all the time, and I guess I kind of am. <laughs> so. Let me add that. So your hobby is working more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, it's it's well being the nerd up podcast. I get to go out to comic cons and stuff like that and interview people and like okay yeah that's <laughs> that's better work you know. Yeah. I, I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to take my work home. I'm going to like knock on the neighbor's door. Do you have a <laughs> child that needs to be taught? Just, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You're like, get out of here, you creep. <laughs> right. Call the police. Yeah, name any other profession that I you know, I could get by doing that. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, um, well, 
yeah, I wasn't. I'm, I haven't really been hit with many misconceptions either, um, because there are so many different exactly. versions of it. I don't know that people can really even try to put you in a box. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's that's the thing. There's so many different uh, versions of uh, podcasters. I mean, you got the true crime people. You've got uh, well, me. I talk about nerdy stuff. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different things. Kevin Smith's got like ten or twenty of them. Uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, so yeah, there's. There, I don't think they can put us in a niche. I think the only thing that they that you get is, of course, you do. <laughs> right? <laughs> you yes. get that at this point. Yes. It's like, yeah, I got a podcast. Yeah, great. It's great. Yeah. So yeah. does everybody. Yeah, everybody and their mother has one. Like, okay. <laughs> I, I do think – so that brings me to my next question. Mm-hmm. What do you find to be the most difficult thing? Because I'm going to take notes on this like legit. <laughs> what do you find the most difficult thing to be uh, that you found within the podcast niche as far as trying to grow your audience and things of that nature? Yeah, yeah. The marketing. Uh, that's one thing. First of all, I have I've got T-shirts and stuff that online you can purchase. Nobody ever buys them, <laughs> so and I I, don't. I, I thought about uh, you know bringing them to like shows and stuff because I've done a couple of shows like you're doing here, um, and I just I just never felt that good about having product out there. It's like oh that's not what I do, and, and I, I shouldn't shouldn't be like that. I should be able to market myself, but uh, just don't. Uh, in fact, our our logo. Uh, designed by one of the guys that podcast with us, uh, Tim Coker. Show some, uh, throw some shout-outs there for him. But, uh, yeah, he created our logo, and it's just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in the world. And uh, that right there could make T-shirts galore. It could be everything. And so I've got it on uh, stickers. I've got it on everything else. But I just don't, you know, pod, uh, I don't promote myself. And that's the hardest thing about it is self-promotion. And I, at first I thought, well, I'm going to try to monetize this. Yeah, no, it ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's been the thing for me, too. It's like I enjoy doing it. You know, I am so extremely extra extroverted. Uh, and this has been something that I started during COVID kind of to keep my sanity, really. Right, right. Um, because, you know, I went from I have a job that I work with 150 kids every day. I work in a, a building that we have about 100 staff members. Mm-hmm. So it's like at any point I had, you know, hundreds of people that I could talk to on a daily basis. Yeah. To going to three. Yeah. Yeah. And those you know. are the ones that are you're stuck with most of the time anyway. Right. Exactly. So it's like, do I have anything new to talk to about? <laughs> right. I like, saw you yesterday. What's new? So this was kind of. How was that breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> was your sausage dry? My sausage was dry. I don't know about yours. So it, it became a saving grace for me. Um, and yeah, I'm, I want to grow the audience. But if it's one of those things that if it doesn't, it's still fun to me. Well, you know, it. Yeah, and that's a lot of things. You just got to take that and not worry about that aspect of it. Like for me, uh, the promoting online, like uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, I well, I've recently just given up on Facebook. I've just the hate and everything else that you see. I mean, and, and it's just annoying. But I have something to promote, so I have to stay on there. Plus, my radio station, we have to do that too. So it's like, all right, I'll stay on Facebook. So I'm thinking about. I haven't done Instagram yet. And someone told me that's one of the better ones out there anyway to promote yourself. So I'll be looking at that one real soon. Uh, but Facebook, I've kind of given up on. <laughs> it's like you sound like me. <laughs> I, I've been telling uh, my buddy here, Eric, about it for a while. I was like, why don't you just delete Facebook? Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> that's what he tells me all the time. And, uh, you know, I'm like, but I got to promote, man. Right. And, uh, you know, at some point I'm going to have to weigh that sanity uh, you know, and my mental health. Right. Versus, you know, those five 
those five likes. <laughs> <laughs> I need those five likes for yeah, self-affirmation. I know, right? <laughs> but well, so the, the thing is with that is like, and then when you get those people, it's like, do you want their likes? You know, it's like sometimes it's like, oh, I wish you would have never seen me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you look at it, you're like, it's that guy. Right. Oh, I thought I unfriended him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. So. What is your draw? I know that we're here at a Fright Night Film Festival. You're here uh, focused on horror. Mm-hmm. So what draws you to horror? Um, I guess my dad, uh, growing up, he uh, would always buy those eerie and creepy comics, you know. I started out in comics. So the eerie, creepy, uh, Vampirella, all those horror comics, loved them. And then when I got older... Uh, like in my teen years, I discovered horror movies that people are actually getting hacked up and slashed. I'm like, ooh, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've just been addicted to that uh, horror and sci-fi ever since. I mean, and I think it had to start with those horror comic books. I think you just got put on a watch list or two. <laughs> yeah, maybe, probably. Maybe a couple of the FBI's yeah, like, all right, that guy, we're going to fall in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Facebook, FBI, but really. <laughs> he needs the followers, okay? <laughs> At least like some shit while you're there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I think it's... Um, I think our parents, a lot of th- that's been the consistent answer yeah. is like how people grew up and things of that nature. Uh, and I think I'd made the argument with a couple people that horror as something that people need i agree you know and it, the tales of things that scare us have are about as old as humanity mm-hmm. you know tales around the campfire and things of that nature if you look back to you know the folklore and things of that nature it's old yeah, you know, yeah it goes way back yeah they've been scaring kids uh you know in, in their cradles for years i mean you look at all the grim fairy tales those are scary stories i love sharing those with my students i was like who likes disney movies right yeah and they're like oh we do and i'm like cinderella like wait you ready <laughs> she puts on the shoe and cuts off her toes <laughs> yes and then the birds that are friends with cinderella peck out her sister's eyes yeah. who's ready for the next one <laughs> mulan <laughs> They rape her. Yes. Wow. You're like, they're like, what? Mr. Morris, stop. You're right. You're Please, like, no more. You're ruining our childhood. I'm like, great. Yes. Jeff. <laughs> Period two. Let's do it again. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, see, I was in a, a, a play uh, about three years ago is the Brothers Grimm Spectaculathon is what the name of the play was. And it was a it was a telling of all those old plays. And. When people came to see it, they oh, it's going to be the Disney. In fact, we made uh, several uh, jokes in the play about the mouse. You know, don't, shh, they're going to sue us. It can't use that one. And so, <laughs> and he goes, we got to stick to the real story. And we're and then and there were people afterwards. It's like I didn't realize Grimm was scary. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so it's like going way back before that. It's like, but uh, yeah, it's always fun to see people find the origins of some of their horror favorite horror. So, and what's really cool is like, uh, you know, you, you watch a horror film right now and you go, Oh, I read about that. in for example, Grimm, you know, Oh yeah, they had that story, but it's a different person. Yeah. Yeah. Or the brothers Grimm with, um, uh, Matt Damon and uh, Heath oh, Ledger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great movie. So yeah. fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And it, it really went under the radar, which was kind of mm-hmm. wild for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's kind of made a resurgence now that it's made its way into the streaming and all that stuff, yeah. which makes me happy. Um, <laughs> and it's still very tame compared to those real stories. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Those stories are awful. And um, like, that's what we do. We scare kids. <laughs> it's you know. Is that messed up? That's just like my favorite thing. <laughs> well, it was my grandmother's favorite thing. So no. 
<laughs> but on purpose? Uh, I don't know. She would take her teeth out and you'd run out of the room. Shit. And that hairy mole. Uh, that like, got me every it's like time. It's the scene from Austin Powers. You're like, mole. Right? <laughs> Is she going to kiss me? No. You're touching it with a stick when she's asleep. You're like, what the hell's wrong with us? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> so she was scary, yeah. So... Uh, I know that you've been doing this for a while, and then you've been in radio, so this could be any part of that. Uh, what is the thing that you've done that has been the most either memorable or the thing you're most proud of as far as this realm? Um, let's see here. Uh, I tell you, the most memorable has, has been all the celebrities, and that go, even in radio, too, is, is being able to get my photo with a celebrity that I'll never see again in my life, but still, the fact that, oh, you met, like, Tommy Chong or you met uh, Ron Glass, you know, from Firefly and, and you, you know, the, all these things are like, I did. I did that, didn't I? And then I think that's what I love the best. It's a great, it gives me a great feeling. And like uh, one time I met the guy that played Flash Gordon, Sam Jones, and uh, I, I talked to him and found out he was a veteran. And I did not know that at the time. And, you know, I was like, oh, okay, well, thanks for your service. And it's really cool to know that about you and finding out those inside stories that people don't normally hear. And that's what I, I don't know if I call it proud of, but that's what I really love about it. And, uh, and again, that starts out in radio and, uh, and podcasting, too. I always make it a point to try to meet the celebrities that I can, you know. And the, the rest, and it's so much to the point where um, every time I get uh, something, I'm like, okay, what celebrity's going to be there? <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> so, yeah. But um, I think that's it. It is a fun, fun part of the uh, the conventions. And for me, like, I am like a horror deep dive type person. Mm-hmm. So, like, some of my favorite people that I've met have been like, um, ooh, it's tough to... Um, Jeffrey Combs was super fun. Oh, yeah. From the Reanimator. Yeah. Um, so that was a really fun one. Tom Savini was awesome. Oh, that would, he'd be fun. Yeah. Um, John Carpenter, I, I have to keep coming back to that just because he's an absolute legend. And it was now cool. Now you're just bragging. Yeah. Well. <laughs> you I got could, my uh, attention there. Yeah. I could talk about ones that were really weird, oh, like yeah. Linda Blair. Um, oh, I have interviewed her. Yeah, dude. Or tried to, I should say. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, and she might be a very nice person, but at cons, my experience was very odd. Yep. Um, that's I can't say anything bad. It's just she's strange. Yeah, it's just a different. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when you find that out about the person, you're like, wow, you know, like there's and I'm not going to name any names or anything like that. But there's like one actor in particular that I went up. I loved his whole body of work, whether it was sci fi, straight drama, whatever. Love this guy. In fact, I was just like when I, I was nervous to go interview him. And uh, when I went up there, he goes. He goes, what's this for? I said, it's for my podcast. And he goes, uh, yeah, I ain't got time for that. I got, I'm got, i here for the fans. I don't need to talk to any press or anybody. And I turned around, and there's absolutely nobody in his line and hadn't been all day. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so when you find out that about somebody, it's like that's where the heartbreak comes, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm sad that Christopher Walken was like that in person. That's just a picture <laughs> of my head. Not really. No, no. I bet he's awesome. Uh, I, I think probably the greatest embodiment of anybody that I've, I, I've ever had the opportunity to meet who surpassed every expectation I could have had was Doug Jones. Uh, the nicest human being. Is that right? Ever. Isn't like that he, great when you... Yeah, isn't that great? He held me by the face. It was it was kind of weird. Oh, wow. But he grabbed me by the face. He's like, I love you. He's like, I love all of my fans. Thank you for wanting to meet me. Wow. He's like, I'm happy to meet you because you 
are moved by my work and I'm happy to continue doing what I'm doing. Wow. I was like, damn, dude. <laughs> I was like, do we just get hitched? I don't know what's <laughs> right? happening. <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> should I make a list of gifts? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right? Should I create a registry? I think yeah. we should. A target? I'm a target person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that. That's really nice when you can run into something like that. And I mean, for me, and you probably the same with you, it's not necessarily just the celebrities. It's like uh, anybody else that you can talk to and just be like, for me, I can nerd out with. But uh, like right now, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, and first we we're before we even started recording, I, I was nerding out on your equipment. So it's yeah, like, it's like, ooh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the heat gets all for free. <clears throat> <laughs> hey, it's what happens when you work on radio. Hate, 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 hate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll take that personally. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, man. Well, you went teaching, I went radio. You know, <laughs> that's that's fair. I have way more crayons than you. So <laughs> that's right, Suck exactly. <laughs> Um, so what is the thing that inspired you to pursue radio? Um, Wolfman Jack. <laughs> Easy enough. Yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, well, very young, American Graffiti came out and, uh, they, yeah. And he, uh, was the DJ, you know, and, uh, they came to the radio station and he goes, Oh no, the Wolfman lives in these and pointed all the carts and everything. And, and, and then when they left, they'd go back to his his character and i'm like i want to do that i want to be normal and then have a character that nobody is they don't care what i look like you know and uh so i went into uh theater and uh, i thought well this well actually i went to radio television and then i thought well let me go into theater so i can act a little bit better on the air and uh yeah, just after I, uh, well, first of all, I had to go through six years in the Navy. So, you know, after that, then I decided that's what, it, that's the direction I was going to go. But yeah, it's just Wolfman Jack back in the seventies just influenced me to get into radio. That's, that's cool. And then knowing that it's so interesting. I just talked to uh, Santiago Cirillo from The Walking Dead mm-hmm. and uh, he had done service, um, service time as well. Yep. It's interesting to see, I think maybe those, that level of, discipline that you get can be very helpful for these types of very things. much so <laughs> yeah because you get some actors that you meet and they're just very flaky mm-hmm. i guess mm-hmm. you know and they just don't put they're super talented and it pisses me off sometimes uh some of the people that and of course i'm not going to name names <laughs> but um you know you meet them and you're like you're so good like i hate you <laughs> but suck it up and like deal with some of the right. crap that you're bitching about and you could really be great right you know and it's i think it's it's beneficial for those people that have been in those you know segments of life and it I'd really helps to, guide you i'd have to agree because well when i i knew that's what i wanted to do when i graduated high school but i didn't know the route to do it and i really didn't know how to uh, discipline myself and get myself to go do those but since i got in the military it's like yeah okay <laughs> i know what to do <laughs> and once i got out after six years it's been nothing but so yeah it taught me how to focus word what has been the most surprising thing about being in uh, radio and podcasting mm. <laughs> uh well and this will probably surprise a lot of people too that uh and I, i've also done audiobook narration and you do have a great voice for it. Well, thank you. Uh, and uh, one of the things, and it goes with that as well, is that the time put in, it didn't, it's not what the people see. You know, like your podcast, you're gonna you're sitting here recording, then you're going to edit, you're going to mix some, like an open and close, I'm sure, and things like this. 
people just see the you know the, the, however long the podcast is that's all they see and they go, oh that's really good yeah but you don't see the work i do <laughs> and i but i like that actually yeah. you know i like knowing that i put together that with all that effort and sure i compacted it down but now you know what it and with the audiobook that's why i brought that up because i did it as an 80 hour audiobook but it's actually 20 hours of actually once the le- uh, listener got it so <laughs> it was 80 hours for me to put in there it was, it was a hard one i had to do impressions of the, all the presidents and stuff is weird but uh yeah is all the work i put into it, knowing it but the people don't see that but i don't know i don't i kind of like that idea <laughs> i have a gig for you oh all right we'll talk after this all right um yeah that i think that's for me that's honestly um Again, my buddy Eric Chavez, who's right here, um, Hi, Eric. <laughs> he's been a contributor to the podcast. You talk about narrating short stories mm-hmm. uh, and stories in general and things of that nature. He's started doing that and falling in love with it. Mm-hmm. And for me, he brought this up. He's like, I think you're so into this podcast because I was in a band and, you know, I act and stuff. But this is the first thing that's all me. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's like I am responsible for I do an intro uh, for every podcast to my listeners, they're like, yep, we're aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So it, it's like a, I write a love letter to each genre, basically. Oh, cool. Uh, my buddy yeah. lovingly said that it's like a segment on NPR. Brian Rodman, I love you for saying that. <laughs> uh, and I was like, dude, thank you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I want to take time to I appreciate people giving me their time. Right. It's the most precious commodity they can give me can't get it back exactly and so i always it always really does mean something to me it's not bullshit i'm not just like lakes guy i appreciate you coming out out like on uh what was it uh uh was it i'm trying to think of the movie but he's he's interviewing the guy that does the voice on simpsons uh uh, anyway he's interviewing and all he's going "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm," and he's just you know not even paying attention what they're saying he's getting doing all the stuff in the background that's kind of like i do in radio grab a cd here grab (laughs) you know "Mm -hmm, yeah mm -hmm." and the guy's just talking he starts talking and nonsense. Oh, it's Wayne's World. That's what it was. And uh, they start saying funny stuff and he doesn't even care because, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I hate those people. <laughs> yeah. Be there. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, be present. Like, because you never know, like, in that conversation, there could be something and it, it, it sounds cheesy, but my next t-shirt, the next little piece of thing is going to say one uh, conversations to change the world. Yeah. Oh, because it's. I like that. That can happen. Like. Yeah. I've had my world change multiple times, either by podcasts mm-hmm. or interviews that I've seen. It gives me new insight. Uh, that's one of the beautiful things about editing these things. I get to go back and be outside of myself and right. hear what I said in that moment and relive that moment. So that's beautiful in itself. And right. then maybe there's some poignant thing in there that I forgot the guest had said. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> that was good, man. I'll try to come up with those. Uh, darn. Oh, man. <laughs> well, don't expect that on this one, guys. Uh, tune in next week. <laughs> um, but, yeah, those moments are super fun. Exactly. Yeah. And, Have you, and I... I know I've done this. Have you ever gotten into the interviews? You just get lost into it and, and just listen to the person and then like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be asking you questions, aren't I? You know? <laughs> it happens all the time. Yes. I love it when it does. Yeah. You know, because it's so cool because that means that person is really interested in telling their story and they are excited about it. And you listen, you know, you want to hear it, too. And it's like, oh, wait, oh, am I supposed to ask you something right about now? So, yeah, I love getting lost in those. And I've had moments where I don't know how it keeps happening. I've had like four or five people cry on the podcast. And oh. it's last night. I'm at a horror 
place. You know, mm-hmm, I'm in right. a, a horror attraction, a haunt. Uh-huh. And the guy, you know, I ask him just a basic question. I'm like, so what inspired you to do this? Oh. And then he's telling me the story and he's crying and I'm crying. And I'm like, he's like, you bet you didn't expect to come to a haunted house and cry. <laughs> I was like, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, uh-huh. hate you. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had one of those moments yet. Oh, man. Yeah. I need to get, I mean, I've had some good deep ones, but never a sad one yet or a crying one <laughs> yeah it, it, and it's, it's powerful you know I, yeah. I go back and I, I listen to those moments and I'm like man I hope somebody takes something out of this because yeah I certainly did yeah oh yeah yeah you know so uh, is there anything uh, promote yourself use the last uh, s- segment here to promote yourself it's time to pimp myself out huh yeah. all right well you can uh, catch my podcast it's the nerd up podcast and you can do nerduppodcast.com or you can go to nerduppodcast.blogspot.com either one get you there and of course all the platforms that podcasts are on you can see us but nerd up podcast we uh have been off and on since COVID hit not like you where you that's where you started that's what got you rolling we kind of have slacked off and a lot of it's just getting the guys together but we're picking it back up now and uh but yeah nerd up podcast it's one of my it's my pet project and my wife gets annoyed all the time like oh you gotta record that again yeah you're not getting paid i know <laughs> so but uh, yeah let's go find it you're preaching to the choir yeah you know, yeah right <laughs> sundays are my day i'm like all right babe i love you kiss her. i'll see you in four hours <laughs> you know so she's like she just deals with it she's yep. great so hey man i really appreciate your time man thanks for taking it thank you for uh, letting me on here i love this it's an honor this was fun man yeah, Perfect. yeah. thank you man Last but not least, I have two fellows who are kind of a package deal. They are both heavily involved in the production and creation of a series of films. The first is called Wicked One, and the conclusion of the story is called Wicked Ones. The first person you're going to hear from is likely my future BFF, (laughs) Roman Josart. He is a writer, producer, editor, and one of the stars of the two films I mentioned. Our chat was an absolute blast, and I'm excited to have this fella in my friends group. The second person you're going to hear from in this section is Tori Jones. Tori is a writer, producer, director, and literal jack-of-all-trades in the film biz. He is the man behind the Wicked Ones film franchise. I thought our conversation was thought-provoking and insightful. I'm hoping I can weasel my way into working with these two awesome dudes in the future. In a transition into this portion of the episode, I'm sharing with my audience a scene from their film called The Wicked One. That's uh, quite a collection you've got there. That's my personal collection. Usually the items I acquire are something to have theatrical presence. Impressive. I'd like to hear more about this patient, 3178, doctor. Insurance purposes? Seriously? Patient 3178 is the most feared person in the the Institute. Who share? As a young boy, Colin Miller started hearing voices. Voices he claimed came from an entity that only he could see. He called that entity the Wicked One. He brutally murdered his parents, sister, and five others before I acquired him. From the moment he entered this establishment, Colin Miller ceased to exist. Now only the Wicked One remains. Hmm. Interesting. 
We're here at the Fright Night Film Festival again. Uh, go ahead and introduce for my listeners so they can know who you are. Yeah, uh, my name is Roman Josart. I'm the owner of Studio 605, a uh, production company based out of kind of the Cincinnati area. Live in Indiana, but pretty close to Cincinnati. And uh, we kind of specialize in uh, horror films. And we've got a movie premiering here tonight called Wicked Ones. Fantastic. So... And from what you were telling me earlier, it sounds like you're a little bit, you dibble and dabble with a lot of different things. So what are some of the specifics of things that you do in your involvement with that production company? Yeah, so with the production company, I mean, we do a lot of stuff. When it comes to the film stuff, we, we've we mainly done a lot of horror films, a lot of slasher films. Uh, we do have like a, a comedy, drama, dramedy, if you will. Um, and then we've done some suicide awareness stuff online, but then on the side, I also locally do a lot of commercials and, uh, all kinds of stuff. But when it comes to the film stuff, it's been primarily a lot of horror, thriller, psychological type things. Love it, man. That's great. And the suicide awareness. I think that that's, that's awesome to do that. Uh, as a teacher, I think that kind of stuff is so important because, until I started teaching three years ago, I just had no idea how bad, like, it's it's such an epidemic in our youth and adolescence. And I think social media and how all those things are impacting our kids, I think it's great that you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. We, um, it was, so Brady A. Myers, who is an actor, who, um, and he kind of helped me. He worked on the movie. He'd be here tonight. But he had a friend who committed suicide. And he came up with this little kind of short PSA called For Corey. And uh, after I read it, I absolutely loved it. And I was like, yeah, let's let's make it. Let's do it. And uh, it's on our Facebook page if you guys want to find it on there. Uh, like I said, it's called For Corey. C-O-R-E-Y. Perfect. Yeah, I'll definitely share that. I, I think as many resources as we can have for that kind of stuff is, is very important. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so one of the key questions I like to ask uh, on this kind of the entire brainchild behind this uh, i say that over and over again but i like to ask people what are some of the misconceptions or some of the uh the assumptions that people make about you just because you work in the the horror film industry um i the film industry especially on the indie side of it like you know at our level a lot of the times if you tell people oh what do you do for a living oh i make movies oh you shoot porn that's <laughs> It's always, that's just what it always goes to, because I don't know why, but that's always everyone's mindsets. Um, but I don't, I, I think a lot of people have an idea of indie just means low budget, mm. when you say an indie filmmaker, where it's not really, I mean, definitely at our level, it is low budget. Um, but I think a lot of people just get turned off automatically to the idea of indie film when you say the word indie in the front of it. So I think the word itself kind of just turns people off for some reason. I don't know why. But then there's others where they absolutely like, oh, screw the studio system. I want the indie film. I can already picture that person in my mind. They're uh, drinking a local uh, coffee. They uh, are probably wearing a beret. Uh, a beret. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. The, our, one of our friends is that way. He's like, everything in studio sucks. They're wearing hey. Sperry's. <laughs> hey, I got a lot of Sperry's. How dare you? <laughs> but yeah, I think that, and I think that there's certain film festivals that have changed that. Like, uh, Khan has changed it, Sundance Film Festival. A lot of those great, revered film festivals mm-hmm. are kind of changing what the mentality is of what it means to be an indie film. Also, a lot of, I think, I think a lot of actors are finding those those 
outlets as far as performers because a lot of times when you get to do these big budget things you're not necessarily doing the most gritty role you don't really get to yeah you're not you're not sometimes getting the challenge you're looking for where in indie a lot of it's like yeah we're gonna let you off the leash you yeah. know kind of bring what you want to bring to the table and if we don't like it we'll talk about it from there where studios are it's just a lot more of a controlled element right where and I, I saw you were just watching joe rogan so without things like the, the commercial success of something like fear factor do we ever really get a joe rogan podcast exactly because he got that freedom through that that hollywood but see money. that that answers the question of well and see and i'm a firm believer in like a lot of people will think of it as like selling out or something. Somebody like Joe Rogan centering himself for something like Fear Factor. But it's like, had he not done that, would he wouldn't be able to do the freedom and the things that he does today at all. That's absolutely right. You know, by selling out, if you will, he was able to, all right, well, I'm going to work my ass off and do what I got to do right now. But when I got the time, I'm going to come out with the Joe Rogan podcast or experience and, and do what the hell I want to do. Um, the greatest commentary on selling out I've ever heard is Hooker with a Penis by Tool. Hooker with a Penis. Yeah, by the band Tool. <laughs> and the song, it, I've referenced this before, Maynard is like, um, we sold out before you ever knew who we were. You know, he's like, you think you've been there since the beginning, but the mm-hmm. likelihood is you probably aren't. Yep. You know, because we wrote albums before we ever played a show. You know, he's exactly. like, if I'm the man, then you're the man, and he's the man as well. By the time you find a band, that's not their first album. Exactly. That's just a song that came across, you know? Exactly. So much like much like Maynard, if you're going to do that, point that finger up your ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what he said. I think it's beautiful. So, um can you share with me probably the, the thing that you've done thus far that you are most proud of? <sighs> Honestly, I mean, it's going to sound like a plug, but it's going to be the movie that's coming out tonight. I mean, we poured a lot of work into it. So it's a sequel. We made the first one back in 2016, mm-hmm. and that's called The Wicked One. And it's free on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to check it out. Um, and then last year, we came back together, Tori Jones and myself of Jonestown Films, and decided, yeah, we're going to do a sequel. And kind of got the band back together, if you will. Um, and we ended up making a movie a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I'm proud that it's one of those sequels I really don't think you have to watch the first one for. It helps, but I don't think you have to watch it. Um, but it's a great film. The actors are fantastic in it. Um, the score... I absolutely love the score. It was done by Rocky Gray, who was the former drummer of Evanescence. Oh, serious? Yeah. <laughs> um, and the score is just dark, and it's brutal, and it just matches the visuals. So I was so impressed, because I'm the editor. So I was getting the score before even the director was really getting the score. So I was, I was matching it all up. And as I'm watching there, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was, it just took it to a whole different level, having him do the music. Um so a lot of things like that because of the team that we had it's a very good product it's a very good film I'm very happy with it before that i would say the all right film, yeah i'm right? staying tonight to watch damn it you really should like i said he he killed it on the music um it's just a great film um very proud of it yeah <laughs> that's awesome i love that man um so as far as you getting into this business what inspired you to pursue poor seemingly specifically yeah yeah 
So, I mean, in the beginning, um, I never actually really wanted to be a filmmaker or anything like that. I had a band when I was in high school. My big thing was music. What kind of band? Uh, it was like a pop punk band, kind of like Green Day, Blink-182. That's his shit New right Found here. Glory. My, my That's boy, my shit right there. Yeah, my boy Eric <laughs> Chavez, behind the scenes, loves it. Licking his lips under his mask. The ear voyeur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we did a lot of stuff like that, and I, I liked movies and stuff like that i did a lot of like dumb shit and put it on youtube like me and my buddies would just film things that were terrible and put it on youtube we're kindred spirits right? i promise man not knowing how to edit i'm like oh we'll just put clips together and uh, like my idea of editing was you did it in camera like you had to cut like on the line and then pick up on another angle this is your life Eric. with the line <laughs> It took me years of filmmaking before I'm like, oh, so that's not how you make movies. <laughs> oh, here he is. Yeah. So my boy Eric, who's being an ear voyeur, as we claimed before, <laughs> he had to dip in because Roman is living his life, basically. <laughs> Everything that Eric does, Eric's just like, yep. You're like, mm-hmm. son of a bitch. <laughs> YouTube first came out exactly like this. I had like a little camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got on my parents' computer that had like Windows Editor on there. Yep, yeah, it was so bad. I was getting on there and like, I mean, my videos were just dumb. Like, it was always something I could mad about something and I was like, fresh, some kind of Dude, I had... I always put like a metal song when I got mad. <laughs> yeah. Just throw it over top, yeah. Me and my buddy, we, we had this dumb series. It was called The Pop Man Killer. And basically, he would go up to pop machines, like vending machines, and it would steal his dollar, and he'd get really pissed off. So whenever he'd see somebody else get a pop, he would just kill him because he was so pissed. He was like, it worked for you, but it didn't work for me. It was called the pop man. He just walked up behind vending machines and killed people. It was so dumb. I, but- lo- I love that. <laughs> Called, uh, Garage Slayer. Garage Slayer. And there was never like a part one or two. <laughs> part six. Some people are like, "What's the rest of the story?" There isn't one. Right. In my head, I really was trying to go to be somewhere like somebody creepy. Mm-hmm. But it ended up being to them it was like the funniest thing they've ever seen. <laughs> See, that was more like a. Was like a a fishnet thing fish or no it was a stocking pantyhose. Pantyhose, like yeah. a pantyhose yeah it was the greatest reveal ever because he we didn't know what the fuck he was gonna do he walks out and he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna put a costume together with like what we have here <laughs> i'll figure it out yeah and then he comes back in and we're all like <laughs> 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 no yeah that's not the answer <laughs> Massacre. There's a theme here, yeah. Garage yeah. Slayer, Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> People die. Yeah. <laughs> Things don't live. Right. The editing for that, and the funniest thing was, it's like everybody went out but me. I think I was sitting on the couch, right? And like, so they all went out, and, uh, you know, I didn't know much about like sound effects or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I was on there and I was downloading stuff, and then, like I needed like a car, like coming into the parking lot with screeching tires or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> car that like took off yeah. real fast and like revved up and took off and took and that's what I put on there and I was just like sitting on the couch. I said oh they're here I mean, it's funny, it's just, you yeah you just hear that you're like that was terrible <laughs> one of the best actors on there like Gavin oh, it's the worst but you know you, you've probably dealt with people that you're like you want to be an actor yeah right oh yeah don't no my favorite oh so you you are an actor yeah don't, like, don't. <laughs> You have bad friends. They we, let you get yeah. this far. That's within the industry. You always find you always find the 
the bad apples, if you will. But I mean, yeah, so I did a lot of that kind of just stuff on the side when I was young. And then the band broke up after high school a couple years, and I literally was like, oh, fuck. I don't know what to do because I was going to be a rock star. Like, I had no backup plan, man. Like, <laughs> we were in a band. <laughs> right? Like, literally, I was like, my girl I was dating at the time, I was like, I got, I got to get a job or something. Like, well, there's no band anymore. Like, I had no clue what to do. And, uh, well, throughout um, high school, I wrote a screenplay for a movie just kind of for fun because uh, I was inspired by the movie Hatchet, Adam Green's Hatchet. Oh, so good. After I saw that, it made me actually want to make movies. So I wrote a script after I saw Hatchet called The Campground, which basically it's a Hatchet ripoff, which Hatchet's basically a Friday 13th ripoff. So it's basically just a campground slasher movie like anything else. But um, so I did that. And my buddy found out about it at the time after high school. And he kept going, oh, we should make that movie. We should make that movie. And I kept, no. We are not going to be able to make... We don't know how to make a movie. <laughs> like, we can't just do this. Sure you can. You so, didn't know how to ride a bike. You didn't know how right? to play catch. It's very you true. You play basketball. You got to start somewhere, true. bro. So, he did this for like three months. Just, oh, we should, we, should really get, we should really make that movie. So, finally, one day I got my paycheck. I said, screw it. I went to Best Buy. I bought a Canon T3i. Got on Amazon. I bought some lights, like a real cheap light kit and a mic. Called him up. I said, all right, we're doing it. I just spent my whole paycheck on film equipment. Let's do it. You peer pressured me into this crap. And then you guys did meth and made a movie. Well, then he dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> so this dude peer pressures me into making this movie for months. I buy all the equipment and he's like, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I've already spent like $1,000. I have no clue what I'm doing. So I ended up making the movie without him, but like putting ads on Craigslist. Like, dude, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And we all came together and on set, I was like, I just want everybody to know. I've only know what I'm doing based off of behind the scene videos and YouTube. <laughs> but we'll figure this out together. So you, two prostitutes and a dude from his mom's basement made a movie is what you're saying. 110%. <laughs> from Craigslist. Yeah. I mean, that's the only thing that happens there, right? Literally. It, I ended up finding my business partner who was my Brandon Pruitt. He was one of my partners at 605 for about five years. And we met for my Craigslist ad on the first movie. He just saw it and was like, yeah, I'll come help make your movie. And I'm like, okay, here's the address. <laughs> a stranger, I don't know. <laughs> so you were trying to live a horror film before you made a horror film. Yeah, I guess that was the only way to really do it, right? Just dive into it. So how did you deal when he showed up wearing someone else's face? Was that weird? No, I said, that was perfect. I said, <laughs> we had rewrites last night. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. So yeah, peer pressure got me into filmmaking. And then I just act during the process, though, I fell in love with it. And I was like, all right, I think we're going to, I think, screw the band thing. Band thing's not happening. Let's try being a, a movie guy now. You have literally stolen my friend Eric's life. <laughs> he's going to ask for it back. I'm not kidding. Everything you, you said can't is, have it. is damn near. <laughs> I guess it's like, you know, talking about uh, wanting to do some short film, but then I always tell him, like, yeah, it's like so much money. That's, that's the only thing that stops me. That's, and that was me in the whole beginning. I just kept saying, no, 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 like can't do it and i finally just hit my uh my screw it moment and all the stuff that i do is uh, i just do it on my phone on my iphone mm -hmm. well nowadays i mean you can you really can't i started in 2013 phones weren't quite there yet but i'll tell you what if the phone is what it is now back in 20 i probably wouldn't have went out and bought a cannon i would have been like we're doing this on the phone i'm gonna buy 
some memory cards and <laughs> let's figure this out. Yeah, you can you can buy the rigs now. That I know uh, there's steady rigs and everything. Yeah. The Osmo, the, yeah, the yeah. one that self rotates with the motion. It's so crazy. It's it's crazy what those little handhelds have come. Those little gimbals. Ever since like I remember when the Ronin came out, and it was like the year after the Ronin, there was a stabilizer for phones, and I'm like. How did we move this fast already? And yeah, now phones, I mean, just as good as GoPros. It's crazy. Yeah, it's awesome. So is there anything other than um, your film coming out tonight, The Wicked Ones? Is there anything else that you would like to promote? Uh, you're with Studio 605. Yeah, Karen, yeah. So like I said, definitely check us out on Facebook, Studio 605. Um, the actual page is just Studio 605 LLC. In case there's another 605. I think there's a hair salon called Studio 605 somewhere. It's even scary. It's not me. <laughs> um, but yeah, other than Wicked Ones coming out tonight, um, the only other thing is next year I'll be returning to director. I haven't directed since 2015. I've just been producing a bunch of films since 2015. Uh, and that'll be called Placid Park. We'll be doing that next summer. That gonna, sounds fun. Yeah, it's going to be a... Uh, a trippy horror movie. I like it. Did you see <laughs> Color Out of Space yet? I haven't. Yeah. Super good, dude. Like, if you like uh, very over... You do. We talked about this. You love the oversaturated colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Roman and I talked earlier about uh, films like um, The Conjuring, uh, Dead Silence, and things mm-hmm. of that nature from James Wan. And well, even talk- Annihilation. Like the, yeah. like, the, like, the colors and the prism effect and everything. I love that stuff. You will absolutely love Color Out of Space. Uh, free plug for me. That movie's phenomenal. Uh, it's Nicolas Cage and his crazed beauty. That's where I've heard of Because yes. I've heard this time. He's been doing doing some cool the last stuff. two years man Mandy, i mean Mom he's and yeah he's just been like you know what give me the role yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'll do it <laughs> yeah and uh that one was a that one was a winner uh some of the some of the things uh, yeah right yeah mandy was great this one i heard yeah mandy was great mom and dad was super fun shot in louisville represent was it shot in louisville yeah i did not know that like 10 minutes from here right at trinity high school they're sending honey brothers had no it's clue dope. yeah it's awesome wow. Um, so yeah, man, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been a blast. We're going to be friends. Oh, 110%. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Friend request me, bro. It's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. I am Tori Jones, filmmaker, uh, writer, producer, directing mostly, uh, from Richmond, Kentucky. Very cool. Uh, and what is, if you want to start off with talking about the film that you're going to premiere tonight here mm-hmm. at the Fright Night Film Festival. So tonight at Fright Night at 8 p.m., uh, red carpet, I think, starts at 6.30. We're going to be premiering Wicked Ones, which is a sequel to uh, sort of the film that kind of brought eyes towards me and my film company originally, and that was The Wicked One, which came out in 2017. And that film's available out there on iTunes, Vudu, Fandango Now, Amazon, uh, places like that. So this is the sequel. This is the uh, part two, the finale of that story that we sort of established in the first film. And uh, it ups, man, it ups it in every way, ups it in the violence, ups it in the blood, the gore. Uh, I think the story's better. Just a completely more brutal, violent, serious film than the first. Very cool. Is uh, Maybe this is putting you on the spot, but can you give us a general um, brief summary of what the flick is about? Yep. So basically, uh, in the first Wicked One, it was about these friends. Um, they weren't teenagers. They were sort of like young adults. Um, 
late 30s maybe that go back to our lead character played by Katie Stewart, Louisville's own Katie Stewart. Hey guys, good news. The bar is open. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how fast he just took his shirt off. That was amazing, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, in the first movie, though, they go back. <laughs> the first movie, they go back to her hometown, um, to her property, and we find out that her parents had bought this property after a brutal murder took place there, and the kid was locked away. So, the kid escapes and comes back. And sort of an homage to Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, and uh, dons this scarecrow mask and just starts tearing through her friends. And then her and her husband make it out alive. So when the sequel picks up, it's been 10 years since the events in the first film. They go back to Carpenter Falls, and uh, he's he's been missing since the end of the last one. And we have two copycat killers that had sort of, like worship this killer and it sort of plays on how violence can sometimes inspire violence violent acts inspires violent acts so they go back there with their kids for a gig and all hell breaks loose again so it's just total pandemonium once they get back into the town again awesome <clears throat> that sounds dope man i'm gonna have to go back check out the first one i'm gonna stick around tonight and check out the new one mm-hmm. he said i should be able to follow it for the most part without having to have seen the first one yeah okay good yeah good um so I love asking the question. I'm always curious because you get so many different answers. As a horror film director, what do people assume about you? What sort of false presumptions do they make about you just because that's the genre that you've decided to kind of follow? Uh, I think that people sort of think if you make movies about scary stuff that or if you make horror movies and have blood and guts and all of that, that you're somehow, you know, worship Satan and sacrifice children in your basement. You don't? I don't. No, I don't do that anymore so um that's one of the preconceived notions that i get is people expect you to be some dark malevolent person and it's just not it's just not the case i think you know if you looked at how wes craven was he made these dark movies but he was this very you know timid gentleman and not everybody's that way there's you know you have on the opposite end of the spectrum you have people like rob zombie and 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 filmmakers like that but that's one of the big things is people think that I'm some Satanist, I don't know, dark, evil person because I make horror movies and it's just not the case. Yeah, that seems to be the general consensus for a lot of people. Um, I know one of the things that uh, I got as far as being into horror novels and things of that nature, and I was an English major in college, mm-hmm. um, People want to assume that you're lesser as far as intellect is concerned. Right. You know, they'd be like, oh, you read that. I'm like, have you ever read anything about H.P. Lovecraft? <laughs> the dude is like a walking thesaurus. It's insanity. Right. Um, Stephen King, I don't give a shit what anybody says. I think he's one of the most prolific and amazing authors of our generation. Yeah. Um, his stories are great. And they're, they're very popular because they're relatable. He builds these beautiful relationships. Yeah. So that's one of the things I've encountered. But I think what you say, of course, yeah, mm. that's that's pretty consistent. Um, could you maybe, I, we'll see if we get the same answer as we did from Roman. Mm-hmm. What is the thing you've done thus far in your career that you're most proud of? I would think uh, for sure Wicked Ones. I, I would agree with Roman on that. And it. What, I didn't think that would be the case. When we finished it, I was like, oh, well, that 
sucked. I'm glad that's over. And that's, <laughs> that's not going to be anything good. And then when we sat down and started editing it, I was like, wow, this is much more than I thought it would be. Just because we shot the film in such a small amount of time, it was a marathon um, right in the middle of summer. It was hot. We were working probably 18-hour days on set. And by the time it was over, we were just like, oh, I'm so glad this is over. That sucks so bad. So that's probably – but but when we started you know, looking at it and dissecting the footage and going through it, I was like, man, this is – this is incredible. And then it just surpassed all my expectations. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, so was it, it was just the fact that you were on such a crunch? I mean, did you work? You ended up working with people. Of course, I, I don't assume you're going to badmouth them here on a podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> so, the, I mean, the experience with the actors and with the, your crew and stuff, well, hopefully that was fine. For the most part, yeah. I mean, there's always someone who each actor is different. Um, and you have to direct each actor different. Some, you know, need to be coddled. Some need to be, you know, smacked in the ass. Some need, you know, talked to in a, in a bad way. Everyone's different. And then there are those that feel they're entitled to something and they have a say in the movie because they've done so many films. And it's, dude, you didn't write it. And you're not directing it. So, you know. Yeah, I think it's <clears throat> there's a balance to be had there because I think there is something um, Nathan Milner, which I know you said you mm-hmm. he did the artwork for your yeah. uh, your film and you know him pretty well. Right. Um, he made a, a wonderful insight, and I always come back to Nathan just because we're pretty good buddies now. Mm-hmm. And I think his insight on this was was interesting. He said that it's sometimes it's I'll get in my own way. Actors will get the opportunity to do maybe four or five films right. by the time I do one. Right. You know, he's like, because the process is so long for you as a director, mm. he's like, it's not necessarily a burden. He's like, but you don't get to see and experience as much as an actor might. Mm-hmm. He's like, so sometimes I try to be mindful because sometimes the most informed people on the set are actors. Right. He's like, so there's there's a nice balance to have there, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, as a stage actor, I've definitely met some, some divas. <laughs> yeah. um, they're like, I have done... 35 shows and I think I know better than you and you're like that's great man but you don't have to be a dick about it right (laughs) my dad's a football coach so I sort of use the analogy like when you come onto my set you're running my playbook you know I don't care how you did it on whoever's set and they let you run the show this is we're running a different playbook here so we have to sort of look at it from that perspective but for the most part everybody was good to work with uh it's just it, i think it was the combination of everything the heat the schedule uh people clashing with each other putting out fires and you know i always say that you know 90 percent of filmmaking is solving problems because a new there's a new problem every day that you have to sort of figure out and, and figure out how to get over that hurdle into the next into the next one and the heat the heat does something to you that uh I worked in a factory job making whiskey barrels. Uh, the average temperature on the floor is like 115 degrees in July. And there were fist fights. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and we're talking about your job. We're not yeah. talking like just hanging out at a bar. No, nope. yeah. there was dudes that would throw pieces of wood at each other. I mean, it was because it just changes you, man. You're, yeah. you're in there and you say you're working 18-hour days. Yeah, it makes people testy. Right. <laughs> so that, that does add a whole nother degree. Um so I always like to know um, what inspires people to move into the horror genre. So what was your inspiration? For me, it's always been horror. Um, when I was a kid, I used to, and I found this with a lot of people, 
I would go into, at that time, there was actual video stores. So I would love going into the video stores, little hole in the wall video stores. Most of the time, they'd smell like a mixture of like popcorn and cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. So loved that. And then I would love like looking at all the artwork from older movies, 80s, 70s movies, and then early 90s. I loved all that. And then that and, and taking those home and being able to just immerse myself in the genre as a kid you know the first movie i ever saw in theaters as a kid was uh tales from the crypt demon night oh so good yeah i saw that and then when i saw halloween dude that just changed everything for me um halloween i'm probably a little too obsessed with that's my that's my character that's my film like i always go back to halloween i could care less what he was doing in that i would i would pay to watch it (laughs) i mean you picked a good one to to you know use as a baseline for your love of the genre i talked to roman i met john carpenter at one of the cons and Mm -hmm. he was just such a brutally honest dude not in a dickish way but he like you know, he's been doing it so long. I mean, 45 years, yeah. something to that effect. And, uh, you know, he's just seen so much and seen the genre uh, evolve so much right. that, you know, it's it's a great way to start. Yeah. And I think what you said, those walking down those aisles of that video store, there will never be anything that will ever um, meet that feeling for me because horror meant family horror was you know friday nights on the floor yep. eating pizza or you know burgers yep. from wendy's and getting that time with my dad that i didn't get throughout the week because he worked yep. so much right you know but he's like nope friday night's movie night we're watching puppet master seven yeah. or whatever it was <laughs> right. you know we're we're going down the entire full moon catalog yeah <laughs> all those wonderful movies Witchboard, things of that nature and uh yeah i completely agree with you yeah. For me, it's it's always been horror. And I miss that today. I miss being able to go into a movie store and and get stuff that way. I get it that times have changed and everything. You know, we're moving towards where now not even windowing is becoming a thing in the past. Probably everything's going to be video on demand in the near future. It'll be released simultaneously video on demand. And, and some will go to theaters, but most won't. And I that sucks, dude. Yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where like only the Marvel movies or Star yeah, Wars or something sucks. like that. It's it's tough. It's it's I understand as a consumer, um, I love things like Spotify when we talk mm-hmm. about music. Uh, my buddy here, Eric Chavez, we were both in a band, and you know it's tough for bands to make money. It's tough for filmmakers to make money. Yeah, when you're talking about that that instant turnaround on things. Um, one of the uh, of Jeb, uh, one of the other guys I had on, um, he had talked about you know putting his film on Amazon mm-hmm. and how little money he gets from selling the physical copy on there. They take sixty five percent really off it, a physical copy, and he said for digital plays it's like six cents. Wow, for every play, you know. So it's like as this paradigm shifts, you know, of how the entertainment business is shifting, how do we keep up? Yeah. You know, so there has to be a way for people to be able to still make a living mm-hmm. because if you want good art, you got to have people that can do it full time. Right. You know, so that they can commit to it uh, because it's tough to do these things as a hobby. Yeah. You know, it is. so I um I used to talk to and the people that are doing it full time, most of them self-distribute. I talked to uh, Justin Seaman, the director of The Barn. I don't know if you've heard of him or seen The Barn. Uh, I've heard of him, but I haven't seen the film. Yeah. Though. The, the film is awesome. It's one of my favorite Halloween movies now. But when I talked to Justin at Scarefest one year, uh, he self-distributed that film. And he has made a 
bucket load of money on that film. He didn't give up his rights to anybody. He sells that off of his website and through conventions. And I guarantee you he's made probably a couple hundred thousand dollars on that movie. That's awesome. So he's going like the E-40 route. I don't know if you like E-40, the rapper, but he sold a million albums out of his trunk. Legit. Yeah. Um, So I always love that story. The album, The Mailman's amazing. Um, Yeah. So maybe maybe that's the way. And hopefully um, it's so weird. You know, I was talking to Jeb. I was like, I don't even know how to watch a physical copy of a movie anymore. Like I got rid of my Blueberry player. It was just something that sat there collecting dust. And I had. I don't know, better part of 2,500 movies that I had physical yeah. copies of uh, and another allegedly uh, 2,000 burn movies or so, allegedly. <laughs> uh, but um, it's just so strange that, you know, it started in my lifetime, video cassettes to DVDs, and then now it's like completely gone. Yeah. You know, so it's so strange and it would be interesting to see how we keep up. Right. Um, is there other things beside the wicked ones that you would like to promote to close this out? So... Uh and my next film is the film I've been working towards for a decade. Oh, wow. That is the passion project I've been trying to get to. And that is um, They See You. It's a Halloween horror film. Uh, uh, basically, it is the Monster Squad mixed with um, a little bit of It Chapter One and then Jumanji. So it's about these these teenagers who, I'm fi- in. Yeah, who <laughs> find this board... Uh, this board, this mysterious board, and they unleash these ghouls with all with their different personalities and their different identities and, and characters onto their town. So then they have to fight back against these ghouls that they've released on their town and uh, from this other like Halloweenish dimension. So it's got it's going to be horror, but it's also going to be a coming of age movie, too. Those are like my favorites. Things yeah. like Stand By Me, going back to Stephen King. Like yeah. All his stories, you said it, that quintessential relationship of like growing up and just riding through your city on your bike right. and just like learning about life. You find a dead body, whatever yeah. it might be. You're right. Yeah. I love it, man. I'm in. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find, you can check out my film company on uh, www.jonestownfilms.com. Uh, you can check us out there. Um, after this weekend, we'll have a lot more products put up there on the website to order and then uh i'm on facebook um tory jones on facebook on instagram i don't have twitter i don't have time to tweet uh there's other people doing enough of that so (laughs) i don't have time to tweet and uh that's pretty much it man facebook instagram and the website it's all i'm on fantastic man well thank you tory for taking some time to talk to me awesome Uh, i can't wait to put this up and hopefully really drive some some new fans uh to you all right man thank you so much beautiful thanks both